From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up for Monday, October 2nd, 2017, as we um, have officially Sean Davidson, who's with us to talk about the President's Cup, uh, are starting the week of the 2017-28 PGA Tour season. So, sir, how was your off-season? It went by really quickly. You know, <laughs> I, it seems like there was no offseason at all. In all seriousness, I feel bad for the guys who had to play the Web.com Tour Championship today in Napa because, you know, here it is, the closest thing we have to Q School, right? These these finals and, and trying to get in the top 25 of the finals monies list. And now they got to fly across the country get their energy level back, and start up. Because as much as people try to deride the wraparound season, it has been statistically proven that doing well in the fall bodes much better for you next summer. Well, yeah, and that's, the, that's a good point. And not to mention, you know, you've got guys who are just coming off the President's Cup and just coming off the FedEx Cup playoffs. So especially for some, for some of these younger guys, this is where you see the Peter Malnati, the Smiley Kaufman, the Nick Taylor, not early PGA Tour win. Give themselves those two-year exemptions. Loosen up your schedule a little bit and, you know, get their sea legs out from underneath them once they get into the bigger PGA Tour events. And I don't like to use the word bigger, but the larger field events where a lot of the larger names come out, you know, once you start getting the Torrey Pines and Pebble is when it really starts getting real, if you will, with the calendar year. Um, but it's a good chance for them to rack up the early FedEx Cup points, Play a few tournaments on the PGA Tour. You can still go to the Masters with a win in a lot of these tournaments. And it really does help to boost their momentum and their confidence moving forward. So in that respect, I really do like it, yeah. Yeah. Alright, let's dive into the President's Cup. Um, I, you know, it's interesting because um, when you work, you know, more so I think than even stroke play events, when you're at work and you can't watch video and you can only just... Um, look at leaderboards, you you miss out on a ton of stuff more, I believe, in match play than you do stroke play because of how much momentum there is and places your partner has looked. And I was stunned at how dominating this was. You and I both said, coming in on paper, this was incredibly, on paper, dominant. But I don't think either of us could have ever imagined how dominant the U.S. would be, how well everyone would play. And as... Cooch pointed out last night in the press conference to have 11 of 12 guys in the juggernaut that is the FedEx Cup uh, playoffs and, and specifically the Tour Championship playing for the $10 million. JT was trying his butt off to do it. The guys were exhausted. The turnaround and play as well as they did was remarkable. No, absolutely. And, I mean, just looking at the numbers, Dustin Johnson, who... You know, he hasn't quite been the same since he fell down the stairs at Augusta. did win the one FedEx Cup event. Uh, puts up four and a half points. Justin Thompson puts up three and a half points. Jordan Spieth and Patrick Reed each put up three and a half points. Ricky Fowler puts up three plus points. Kevin Kisner, three and a half points. I mean, you're looking at the big names on this American team. And I mean, there are names that, you know, that like Fowler and like Justin Thomas and like Phil Mickelson and like a Justin Johnson that you're going to recognize right away, a Jordan Spieth, if you will. Then there's the Kevin Kisners, who also, as I mentioned, put up three and a half points. She had uh, two President's Cup rookies, Brooks Ketka, Daniel Berger, each putting up a couple of points. 
Um, I mean, there was nobody on this American team. Charlie Hoffman, Kevin Chappell, each one point or two for, for the U.S. side. I mean, everybody from top to bottom on this team played some fantastic golf. And in a lot of ways, it was sort of reminiscent of the Solheim Cup where the ladies just didn't let up from the start of the tournament till the end of it. Uh, this tournament was almost won by the time they got into singles. But either way, I mean, it was just an onslaught of American power. And these guys have been playing, as you mentioned, so well. 11 out of the 12 were in Atlanta. That's a 30-person field. So a third of that field was on the President's Cup team. Um, I mean, it, it just is a testament to how well they've been playing all year and how well they play together. A lot of these guys are part of that class of 2011 group. And if they aren't, with the exception of guys like Kucher and Phil Mickelson, they're within two, three, four years of it. So... I mean, a whole bunch of guys in that same age range, and these are guys that we're going to get to see play with each other year in and year out on these teams. Um, let's dive into some of these U.S. people, not named JT and Spieth and Ricky, because we know what they're going to be bringing for a while. Kevin Kisner was remarkable. Here's a guy, um, he and, and Daniel Berger, I, I had people, and, and you probably knew this following them, both... Um, knew they were fiery guys, but oh, man, Kiz is I is 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 so well liked on tour. But this was like the mean football fan side of Kiz. He was a passionate man, and to have the fire that he had in his belly, you could see it. And he helped Phil, I think, a lot, especially since Phil in these team events has to watch his energy levels. And I think Kiz really helped with that. No, absolutely. And year in, year out, we've seen Phil Mickelson like to take one of the younger guys, one of the rookies under his wing, whether it was Anthony Kim, whether it was Ricky Fowler. Now here it is, it's Kevin Kisner. Uh, it was Keegan Bradley. Uh, you know, famously at those couple of Ryder Cups when Keegan was going nuts. I mean, it's almost like, as you mentioned, Phil sort of rides the wave, and, and that other guy, that's who he's playing with, the younger guy, burns a lot of energy and, and feels the ebbs and flows of a rider or a president's cup and and plays to an unreal level and Phil matches him and doesn't have to burn the same amount of energy. It's a really great dynamic and that is a huge reason why aside from the fact that Phil started playing better why I'm sure Steve Tricker and his entire coaching staff and why everybody on that team wanted Phil back on the team as the captain's pick. There's a reason why he's been on so many of these presidents and rider cups in a row. He's a great teammate and a great match player. So I mean, great for Kevin Kisner. It, it's, it's amazing what these kinds of tournaments do to people. I mean, you look at what Kevin Kisner was a few years ago. I mean, I'd say a couple of years ago, I believe it was, that he was like a third or fourth alternate into Bay Hill and got in day of on Thursday, shot 67, and from that point forward started servicing on leaderboards the year after that. Ended up, you know, that was the year he finished second a bunch of times. Then in the wraparound, won at the RSM McGlattery. Now he's won again in Texas. He's made his way onto a President's Cup team, picked up three and a half points, was in contention at a major championship, and his career has really taken off. And I think that this is a really positive experience for him, and I think he's going to be an even greater player moving forward because of it. Um, and, and, you know, I, I totally agree that much like Daniel Berger hasn't gotten into the hunt in a major, I think this could help propel um, uh, sorry, Kevin Kisner into the hunt at a major. Um, speaking of fiery guys, uh, if it wasn't for Michael Greller and a rake, I think Charlie Hoffman's chip and reaction from Saturday could be the reaction of the year, not just the President's Cup. 
Where has that been out of Charlie Hoffman? You know, whether it's Charlie Hoffman on uh, day three or Siwoo Kim on day four, <laughs> these team competitions bring that out of people, and it is so much fun to watch. I mean, you're not playing for money. You're not playing for a title you know, that you're going to win on your own. You're not playing for... Lord only knows whatever sponsorships or, or personal accolades you're playing for. You're playing for your teammates and you're playing for your country. And, you know, for the internationals, they're playing for all the countries combined outside of the United States. And, I mean, there's something that's to be said for putting all the tangible things aside and playing for something bigger than yourself and bigger than any monetary or material accomplishment you can achieve. And uh, when that's on the line, when your pride's on the line, especially as it was for the international side on Sunday, you see some pretty special stuff. And uh, it was great to see Charlie have some fun. It was great to see Kevin Kisner, you know, release a whole bunch of energy. It was great to see Siwoo Kim, same thing on Sunday. And, you know, I, that's why I think a lot of people love these events. And there's so much talk about whether or not the President's Cup is dead and, and you know, what needs to be done to fix the President's Cup from the intangible perspective and the emotion that's expended on both sides. You know, it's not broke at all, and uh, it's quite fun to watch. Um, it's interesting whether it was Siwoo Kim with the shush, Anaban Lahiri with the point. Um, some of these international guys, late Saturday and in the Sunday, kind of got freed up to show some emotion. What do you think happened here? Do you think it was the internationals being nervous early on? Do you think they didn't play as well? To me, they just didn't play as well. They, they, they hit some really foul balls, especially off number one. Um, but it was interesting. All the U.S. guys said Sunday was weird just because they weren't playing for anything. It was hard to get up. And, and you know, that let those guys win the session. But uh, it seemed maybe that this freewheeling that the internationals showed yesterday could be a positive for them going forward. I mean, we'll get to my issue with the President's Cup in a second. But... What do you think set them back, and then why do you think the last, you know, basically 18, 20 holes were better for them? Well, I think, frankly, when you consider that, you know, on that international side, you had a whole bunch of different guys, and we were talking previously about how much of a mismatch the matchup was. But when you look at your three highest-ranked players, Jason Day, Mark Leishman, Hideki Matsuyama, combining to go 2-8-4 on the week, I mean, that's a problem. When you've got those guys toward the top of the world golf rankings go 2-8-4, it's going to be a tough week. And, and, you know, Adam Scott, same thing. He's not as high up the world golf rankings as those guys are, but he's somebody that, much like a Phil Mickelson on the U.S. side, he's somebody who's been on these teams before and is well-known as an international golfer. And, you know, he's somebody that you would more readily turn to to lead the international side. We really didn't see much of him until he turned the Kepka match around and won that on Sunday. I think, simply put, they just didn't have their best stuff. And I think you can combine that. And I don't want to speak for them, but, you know, we saw it in 2 at Bethpage when Sergio was taking a little bit too long on a whole bunch of practice swings and the, and the takeaway and whatnot. You're playing in front of a New York crowd, and they will tell you what they think as soon as they think it. And they can be a little bit more relentless than most. And they got under Sergio's skin, and... You know, I wouldn't be surprised if with the different things they might have said, the different cheers they might have given, maybe that also sort of contributed to, you know, rattling some of the international side, especially when you're talking about a young uh, young group 
some of which are making their first appearance in the President's Cup. I mean, this is on American soil, and there is no more American place on American soil than in New York City, and that's about as close the course as you're going to get to it. And it, it was, you know, everything that can fuel the American side, and if you're new to something like this, it can set you back a step or two early on. Plus the fact that the best players on that team are the most experienced, whichever way you want to look at it, weren't playing that well. I think that's kind of what dug that early hole and a big hole is that for the internationals. Moving forward, you know, nobody has ever said anything poorly about Nick Price. Everybody on that team has loved him and the way he leads and the way he cares for his players and the team-building you know, atmosphere that he creates. And it's just when you're playing an American side that's always so stacked, you know, what are you going to do? And, you know, they've all loved Nick Price. They all, of course, love their countries. And, you know, they all want to do well for themselves as well and prove that they do have the potential to play well in this atmosphere. So I think, you know, moving into Sunday, it basically was, okay, we're not going to win the Cup, but we can play for our own pride. We can play for our own countries, and we can play for our captain who deserves a good day. And I think they just got mad at themselves, mad at the situation, got more determined, buckled down, freewheeled it, as you mentioned, and just went for everything. And that could be the key, especially when they go back across the seas into Asia for the next President's Cup. And that'll be a lot of fun. They always do play better at home, if you will, wherever home is when they go international than when they play in the U.S. So if they can string together some momentum over the next couple of years, you never know. Yeah, we shall see how this works itself out over time. Um, here's all right. So, so here's my thing. We're talking to Sean Davidson about the President's Cup. Here's my thing about it. What we didn't realize in Scotland 2014, when Phil Mickelson had the press conference and the whole nine yards, we knew the system was broken. I think everybody knew that. We knew we needed better continuity, better uh, a coordination, more player input, um, blah blah blah. But what we saw with Spieth and Reed, and what we really saw with the emergence of JT this year, um, is the fact that we suddenly have a bunch of guys that are best friends. This class of 2011 that has been so potent and taking over a generation in terms of majors and, and PGA Tour wins and the whole nine yards, now is the next U.S. wave for Cups. And when you can have best friends and neighbors like JT and Ricky teeing it up, and when you can have a formidable group like Jordan and um, and Patrick, and when you have guys like Berger and everybody else who's waiting in the wings, the Patrick Cantlay, uh, Xander Shoffley won the Tour Championship, obviously. When you have this next wave of guys who not only are young but like each other, friends with each other, hang out with each other, uh, you know, Smiley's in that group, the Spring Break gang. It is really tough for anyone to overcome that. This is what Europe had in, in the recent modern heyday of the Ryder Cup with Ali and, 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 and Padre Harrington and Graham McDowell and Rory and Poulter and, and, and that whole group. They were all friends with each other. And now we're suddenly coming into a next American wave of friends with each other. How do you duplicate that besides Leishman and Day and Ustazen and Grace and some of these guys from the same country when... There's more internationals who are friends with Americans than internationals friends with internationals. I just don't see how you make this work if these U.S. guys who are best friends keep showing up in the same teams. It, that's the problem. And that's 
that's the question that I pose moving forward. It, you know, you've got folks from different countries representing the same team, and generally in the Ryder Cup you'd say, oh, same thing. But when you've got guys that play consistently on the European tour that might be from Italy and France and Belgium and wherever, I mean, they play that circuit together, so they get to know each other, even if they are from different countries. I mean, when you've got guys, say, in Honor Bon Lahiri that spends part of the year playing in the Asian tour, whenever he might have, you know, commitments to do that, or Hideki Matsuyama, who plays a few tournaments out in Japan or China or wherever it is that he plays due to sponsor engagement, when the rest of the world might be playing somewhere in California or Texas or Florida or Georgia or North Carolina or wherever they're playing. I mean, you're, you're taking a step away from that. And that's the thing with all these guys with different homelands and with different, you know, families and different commitments back home to go back to and, and different sponsors that are indigenous to where they're from and all those different obligations. I mean, you're being pulled a bunch of different directions and there's a multitude. I think we forget how many tours are out there aside from the PGA Tour and the European Tour, whether it's the Sunshine Tour, the Asian Tour, the Australasian, the, you know, the Australian Tour. I mean, there, there's so many different tours out there that guys cut their teeth on and can make their way up on that, you know, maybe they all played the PGA Tour this year, but maybe in the years before that they played in different places and they have different ways of doing things and communicating with one another. And in a way, I can sort of see how, I don't want to say they click up, but it's easier for a Brandon Grace to spend time talking with a Louis who stays in, or a Charles Schwartzel who's also from South Africa, rather than to go out and, you know, engage in hours-long conversation with Honor Bon Lahiri, setting aside perhaps, you know, the language barrier or some understanding. I mean, that's just sort of the risk you run. And when you've got guys from so many different countries, when there's so many different ways of doing things that play different tours, that, you know, lead totally separate lives, that when they get over to the PGA Tour do become friends with the Americans themselves, it's a challenging thing. And, you know, how do you fix that? And, you know, that's a question that, you know, answering that is above my pay grade, that's for sure. But that would be the key, you know. You have to get those internationals playing together and on the same page. And I'm not saying that they're, you know, diametrically opposed to one another or there's disharmony in the locker room, but it's just... There's a connection there with the like the class of 2011. They all went to college at the same time. They all played AJGA against each other at the same time. They all made their way out on the web tour at the same time. They all, if they went through Q school at one point, went through Q school at the same time. You know, they're all signing contracts at the same time. I mean, there's a consistency there that you don't get with the international side, and somehow they have to find a way to overcome that. And, you know, maybe it will take a task force kind of thing just to get everybody together on the same page. And, you know, for something like that, where you've got so many people from so many completely different backgrounds, whereas people sort of laughed and scuffed about the Americans feeling they need to do that four years ago, that might actually be something that they have to do. And maybe not so much of a focus group as much as let's just get together, whether it's the top 20 in the uh, world golf rankings on the international side that look like they might stand a chance come together for dinner the same way Jack Nicklaus has hosted all the guys that look like they have a shot to be on a Ryder Cup or a President's Cup at his house in West Palm. You know, whatever it is, get yourself together. Start doing things together. Go on fishing trips, whatever it is, and start building that camaraderie off the course where you might actually have that same kind of connection that these youngsters in the class of 2011 or any of the immediate classes they're in have as well. Uh, Here's the stat from Doug Ferguson. Um which is 
that 11 players in the President's Cup, so 11 of 24 had a primary residence of Florida. Only five of those played on the U.S. team. Yeah, it says a lot about where the uh, world of golf is these days. We're talking to Sean Davison. Um, let's talk about the FedEx Cup for a second. Um, where are you on this idea that's been floated, and, and it's been floated for a while, but Doug Ferguson also um, was the first one to peg this as an actual thing that is being reported, or, or sorry, thing being considered by Jay Monahan and the Tour Brass which is that you take the tour championship, you have a tour championship, which will be played over Labor Day weekend starting in 2019. So you have five days to work with, basically. And either you shorten the tour championship to 54 holes or you keep it 72 and go Thursday, Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday, however they jiggle that out. Um, you crown a tour champion. You take whatever the FedEx Cup points list is at that time. You probably would not have a reset. You take whatever that is, one through, and however many people you want, one through four, one through six, one through nine, whatever. And those, however many guys, the next day go out and play 18 holes, and whoever uh, shoots the lowest score wins the FedEx Cup. Where are you on that idea? Well, it would certainly eliminate the... If so-and-so finishes T-18, but somebody else finishes T-7, yes. and they go here and they go there, you know, you don't have Steve Sands necessarily spending as much time in a trailer as yes. Mad Matthew. And yes. all credit to him for crunching all those numbers and figuring it out. Yes. Um, you know, I think it would add a little bit of clarity to it, and I think it's something that you see a lot of different sporting divisions and sporting leagues trying to clarify things, whether it's, you know, I think the one example that sort of sets out clear in my mind is uh, NASCAR, the way they keep re-engineering their playoffs. Same sort of thing. They keep coming yeah. up with new ways. The thing is, is you know, at the same time, you don't want to over-engineer and over-reinvent what you're doing here. So, if it is something that you feel has worked, I mean, looking back at the previous tour champions, we're looking at Rory, and we're looking at JT, and we're looking at Jordan Spieth. And if you want to Snapchat, I almost said Snapchat, a snapshot of <laughs> the world of golf is right now. Yeah. And you look at your last three FedEx Cup champions, that's a pretty doggone good snapshot. So, I mean, it, I don't want to say it's broke, but it would be an interesting concept that I would be interested to see, uh, see how that plays out. And, you know, it gives it more of that winner-take-all mentality, and it, you know, it might draw on a few more eyes. So, I mean, hey, if it's something the tour wants to do, I don't see a problem with it, but I'm also saying... You know, the way they've got it right now isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world either. I think the problem is we we had a scenario here um, last year where Dustin Johnson could have won the FedEx Cup sitting in a clubhouse. And I'm not sure, you know, th that's fine if you're playing off and lowest score wins and he was in the group in front and he's just waiting to see if, you know, someone shoots lower. But the way that playoff was, was where if anybody but Rory wins, he's the FedEx Cup champion, and then Rory wins, and he's the FedEx, and Rory's the FedEx Cup champion. It was so, what the hell's going on here, that I think that's what led to some of this talk. And then uh, uh, this year, look, uh, give it to Xander Shoffley. The guy came in with house money, played his way into the BMW, played his way into the Tour Championship, had nothing to lose, and said, I'm just going to go out there and, and freewheel it and shoot whatever he shot, 64-5, whatever that was. 
and, and got the job done. Um, what's interesting to me is that the FedEx factor here. FedEx puts a lot of money. This is $35 million. Fourth for this, plus their St. Jude Classic sponsorship. As much as you and I may like the way it is now, I think ultimately it could rest in their hands and what they want to do and how fair the system for them would be. No, absolutely. I mean, when you're spending the big bucks, I think you should get the final say. I mean, somebody at the end of the year is going to walk away with a $10 million check thanks to you. If you want things to be changed, I think you should have the right to voice your opinion and say so. I mean, yeah. I, I like the way it is, but I, I do see how it could be improved. You know, I, I, I do commend the tour for making the changes. I mean, you go back to the early years of the FedEx Cup, yet Tiger Woods and VJ Singh, if they didn't want to play at East Lake, they pretty much didn't even really have to. Um, and they were, were still going to win the FedEx Cup. Hey, some people are still not happy at Sergio. Sergio has not played the uh, what's now the Northern Trust like five straight years. So, y yes, they fixed the whole VJ just had to stay upright at the Tour Championship for four days, and he would win the thing problem. But some still are upset that, that, that you can take an event off and still win. Well, and that would be, you know, if I'm not mistaken, where some of the changes that they're making, you know, moving TPC up to March and perhaps floating away one of those FedEx Cup events, making it three instead of four, shortening the season a bit, where that might be one of those things where if you've got less opportunity to knock those points, guess who's not going to be taking a week off, you know? So... It'll be interesting to see where they go from here um, and, and how they choose to do it. You know, one of the more interesting things that they could possibly also do is, I mean, I love the WGC in Austin. I think it's a great venue. I think it's a nice time of the year. But have they thought about maybe bringing back another match play event maybe closer to the end of the year, maybe somehow incorporating that into the playoffs where you get something a little bit more wild like that. It doesn't have to be the final event, but, you know, one of the four or one of the three. And then also, now you've got within two, three weeks of a President's Cup or a Ryder Cup, you're getting these guys back playing matches again instead of just playing stroke play. And you get them in that mode. Maybe you're breaking it up with a couple of, you know, tournaments of stroke play, but you're getting them into that match play mode where this isn't the first time they played match play since March. So, I mean, there's a whole bunch of different ways they can go and a whole bunch of different ideas that they can explore. And, you know, that's the beauty of where they're at with the PGA Tour. I don't think they're in a bad place at all, especially when you consider the American youngsters that have come through. And you mentioned Xander Shoffley without going too far. I absolutely love that kid. He's got a cool name, he's got a great game, and he's got a wonderful attitude. And I think he's going to be somebody that Americans are really going to get to like and in the world of golf is really going to be... Uh, benefited from him being part of the picture. Um, but, you know, there's a whole bunch of different things that the tour and FedEx and the players and a whole bunch of different people can float around and toy around with. And, you know, as long as you're not changing a whole bunch of things a whole bunch of years in a row, I think this is something that's current and relevant. And you've got that leeway to experiment a bit. Just don't over-engineer it. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot. And I'm going to uh, purposely answer this question first to give you time. Uh, and I'm gonna uh, and I'm gonna ask a, a bad question. I'm going to and and I'm going to admit that this is not an apples to apples comparison question. Okay. Okay. Uh, what is your favorite moment of the 2016-17 PGA Tour season or 2017 in golf? Now that's the not apples to apples because we're including the fall 
for the men and, 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 and specifically the PGA Tour, but if your favorite moment of the year is something with the ladies, then I'm only counting 2017. So that's the not apples to apples part of it. So I'll go first. You can think about it, and, and, and I'll get back to you in a second. For me, it's two uh, different things. Number one, Spieth at Hartford. Um, it's just one of those moments. The PGA Tour season had kind of been eh, and then it just took just shot up, and it needed it so badly. The ratings needed it. Golf needed it with the Spieth hole out and Hartford, um, and just the celebration and the rake throw and just all that. And number two, I will never forget being at the Tau Beach Club in Vegas um, and looking at my phone and, and my dad, who prides himself on leaving people alone on vacation, saying, huge rules controversy with Lexi, even Tiger's mad. Um, <laughs> so I knew we had a little problem on our hands with, with Ms. Thompson. And, I mean, that whole situation and how she handled it was just uh, was just amazing. So that's where my head's at um, when it comes to best golf moments of 2016, 17, or 2017 here on October 2nd. And, hey, look, back in whatever it was, 2009 maybe was the Jonathan Bird walk-off ace in Vegas in the fall. So anything can happen in the fall. All right, sir, you're up. Well, similar to what you're saying about Jordan Spieth, I'm just going to extend it because you're right. The PJ Tour season can get really long and really dry in those summer months. It's kind of like watching no, you know, no slides to those who like to sit down and watch every MLB baseball game on ESPN and and TBS and and Fox all season long. But midseason, it can get a little dry, a little boring, and there can be a whole bunch of other things that you would rather watch than midseason baseball or you know the Travelers Championship or the Quicken Loans National or or whatever it is. The PGA Tour needed that little shot, and so too did Jordan Spieth. And what makes that moment stand out even more for me is that he was able to string it together with a great performance at the Open Championship. And by winning the Open Championship, now what makes to me that one of the greatest moments of the year is that it sets up. At the Masters, Rory's got a chance to complete the slam, the career slam. At the U.S. Open, it's back to Phil. At the PGA this coming year, it will be Jordan. I mean, it sets up that in three majors, um, you're going to see somebody have a chance to complete something that you didn't see completed very often. And these are three incredibly special and talented players. So for me, watching Jordan win the Open Championship and, you know, (laughs) spend some time on the driving range that he didn't expect to spend on Sunday, that was a lot of fun. Watching him charge back on the back nine where Matt Future played great. Jordan Spieth just took it from him. And then, similar to you, you know, to me, the whole Lexi Thompson thing is neither here nor there. Because the situation itself, I, to me, that was an embarrassing day for golf. It was an unfortunate day for golf. She handled it beautifully, and I could not be prouder of her as a person and as somebody who's known her since before she became a professional, how she handled it and how she's bounced back picking up a couple of wins this year. But to me that was one of those neither here nor there days because she handled it beautifully, so you handled it beautifully, but it was just a really bad day for a game that was really moving forward. Um, To me, I think one of the best days objectively stepping back from the game, I think one of the best weekends, honestly, was probably actually the Solheim Cup 
Yeah. You consider what the LPGA Tour has been through and where they've come from. Um, you know, not to throw Commissioner Bivens under the bus, but, you know, players had just about had enough of the LPGA Tour when it was going downhill under her watch. And they made the executive decision that they need to make a change. And that was back when Annika was still on the tour and Lorena was still on the tour. And they headed up that decision to find somebody else to help the tour survive. And they brought in Michael Wan. And Michael Wan has been nothing but the best thing that could have ever happened to the LPGA Tour. You know, people make fun of Tom Herman for saying, you know, you can't sprinkle magic pixie dust on the Texas football team and expect it to be better. But it's almost like that's exactly what Michael Wan did with the LPGA Tour from the moment he got there. From the second he got there, sponsors came back, tournaments came back. They lost Kingsmill altogether, one of the mainstays on that tour, and it came back. And then for them to have that Solheim Cup at home in Des Moines, a city and a town and a state and a part of the U.S. that really has been looking for a big event like that, and to just rock that place. I mean, there were grandstands all over. They were all packed. It was just a big party. And to see the LPGA take that big of a step forward, and to see the Americans especially, you know, with the LPGA Tour, with I mean, and this isn't a bad thing, but with the LPGA Tour being almost dominated by players from South Korea or China or Japan nowadays, to see the Americans step up and play that well at home in that kind of atmosphere, really in the game of golf in a large sense, told me that the LPGA Tour in the game of golf for men and for women, for boys and for girls, is in a wonderful place moving forward. That it is, and I think it's interesting that um, as we move into 2018, golf ebbs and flows from youth to veterans, youth to veterans, youth to veterans. The LPGA seems to be kind of away from the kids at the moment, just barely towards the Kerrs and the Lexies and, and people and Michelle Wees and, and that realm who have had such a big 2017. And the PGA Tour in the men's game, meanwhile, is going younger again after being that big 30s and 40s run for a while. It's interesting how that has kind of bobbed and weaved lately. It is. And, you know, I think that's exactly what the LPGA needs, though. You know, it, while you're ushering in this new wave of talent, and make no mistake about it, the younger players are winning out there, too. There's still some of the players that people who watched the tour back in 05 and 06 and 07, like Christy Kerr or Kari Webb, have found their way into contention and onto leaderboards, and in Kerr's case, have won a few times. Julie Inkster has even been on a few leaderboards this year and gotten some TV time. She's crazy. Her time at Fox. And, you know, that helps. You know, when you're trying to usher a tour into a new era, when you've struggled so much, having that young talent, but also having a few of those faces that you remember from years ago still there and still doing well, how do you take that next step forward? So I think for the LPGA, it's been a perfect scenario. And for the PGA Tour, when one guy has been the guy who's moved the meter for so long, and then you get a new wave of all these exciting young players, especially, you know, people will say what they want about Johnny Miller, but to me, one of the things he's always been spot on about is that golf has really took a huge step forward when it became a whole lot more popular in the American market. And it did so because of one guy, and that guy was Tiger Woods. And, you know, for a long time, a lot of people were wondering, where are we going to go from here? What if, what if we don't see him again? A, we're seeing him again, and you know he'll try to make another return to the tour. And I'm looking forward to what that looks like when he gets back out there, because the tour is a better place when he's a part of it. 
Um, but beyond that, it's inevitable that he can't compete out there forever. And when you've got guys like Jordan Spieth at his young age winning three times, you know, or winning three majors, and you got a guy like Justin Thomas putting together the season he has, or a guy like a Dustin Johnson who's built like a tank, who can bomb at a mile, that is something, you know, everybody likes to watch football, or a lot of people like to watch football to see a bunch of points, and a lot of people like to watch golf to see people hit balls hard. He can do just that. you got Brooks Koepka who can do the same thing, and they're winning majors. I mean, this young wave of American talent is exactly what the PGA Tour needed because, again, it's based in the U.S., and that's where a lot of the money is in the game of golf, especially on the men's side now. And then for the women, I mean, it's been exactly what they've needed. You've got the young talent, but they've also got the same old talent, and I don't want to say old, but the same established talent that's also there to usher the tour into the next step as well. So, again, it's, both tours are in such a healthy place, and it's so great to see. And if you're wondering why we asked all those um, questions about big picture, that's because the next time Sean will be on, it'll be all college football and basketball and other related things. So... I thank you, sir, and uh, we shall see what the fall brings us. Yeah, and Jeremy, just just big picture. Uh, I think one thing that we should mention before we go off the air is, you know, big picture. Golf is a sport, and sports are part of life. They're not life in general. And today, our you know, our thoughts yeah. and prayers and wishes need to go out to Las Vegas and the folks that went out to that concert just to have a good time and listen to some country music and folks that just frankly didn't make it back home, and those who did, but their lives will never be the same, whether they were performing that night or attending that night or even just staying in the hotel that night. Um, A real dark day for our country. But, you know, we have to find a way to take a step forward. We have to find a way to make some changes, and we have to find a way to learn from this and be better because of it. And I know, you know, with, you know, just golf and with sports and with life, things will find a way to get better. And so, too, will this situation. And, you know, it's hard to see right now, but certainly our best wishes and thoughts and prayers go out to all the folks out in Las Vegas. Well said, my friend. I appreciate that. Um, and thank you, as always, for coming on Teeing It Up. All right. Thanks for having me, as always. You got it. And we will see you all Sunday for the Sprint.